Welcome, listeners, to the 19th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhards. With me today, as usual, are powerful wizards Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. The very best of welcome to you, dear listeners. Hello, everybody. Hello. I think I hope you're doing well. This episode is out later this week, as our recording at the moment is third time's a charm. We had to reschedule twice already, but we really wanted to get an episode out to you. So again, very best of welcome. Uh, Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Decked app. Also, uh, as the next episode will be our 20th, we thought we would have a question and answers section next week, so our beloved listeners can influence the discussion. Please put your questions to us on social media, preferably in our Discord servers. You will find the link in this episode information, but you can also reach out to us on Twitter. More on that at the end of the episode. In today's episode, we will go over the paper legacy we played last week, and then, Robin, we will go a bit deeper in with you in a discussion what might be the likely choice at the Swedish Legacy Nationals, which is a month from now, 6th November, in Borås. We also plan to speculate uh, wildly, perhaps, uh, on the metagame game uh, a bit uh, for that Nationals tournament. Before that, though, we have some very good news to announce. And this is also why we wanted to get this episode out, even though we had to reschedule twice. The coming week, on 14th October, we will recommence Organized Paper Legacy in Stockholm. Can I have a whoop, please? Whoop, <laughs> whoop, whoop. Uh, the most excellent of wizards, and that means you, listener, are invited to come down to Alpha Spiel at 6.30 this coming Thursday. Uh, we will link to uh, the address for that place in the show notes as well. Uh, the plan is to start a regular Paper Legacy Thursday uh, at Alpha Spiel, uh, running FNM-style play until the end of this year. And then at the beginning of next year, we will start the Stockholm Legacy League, which will have two seasons per year, ending in a sweet grand finale of the top 16 players. In order for this to happen though, we need you all to crawl out from your caves and come down and play. And honestly, what is a better way of spending a Thursday? There is no better way. Uh, paper play discussions on paper play play. Robin, what did you play this week? Yeah, as you mentioned before, I am leaning towards lands for the for the Swedish championship. Legacy, uh, so I have only been testing lands of lately. Um, so I, I played a couple of of uh, games against uh, sort of your gauntlet, and uh, this Wednesday I also played uh, against two different versions of Esper Vial. And uh, yeah, deck is feeling quite good. I am like in a, in a place where I'm, I'm tuning cards, uh, and that's a little bit of what I think I will be talking about in in the in the later segment when we go through the metagame and card choices and all of that. So uh, I will not take up too much time of that now. But uh, uh, some wins, some losses, and uh, Lance is quite a, a matchup dependent deck. So uh, I think I lost to uh, Black Red Reanimator and won against Cloud Post, and then I lost to Christopher's Spicy Jeskai Vile and then won against uh, Yorion Espervile. So that's my results for this week. Nice. Christopher, how did your games play out? Uh, so yeah, like um, like Robin said, uh, I've been uh, slowly buying cards for uh, Espervile, but uh, 
I decided to sleeve up a, a red splash uh, this Wednesday. So cutting cutting the blackguards to include, you know, some extra recruiters, uh, a goblin settler, and then maxing out a bit more on charming princes and soul herders just to, you know, get some like crazy amount of value. So, yeah, I, I was actually undefeated. I played three, three rounds. Um, I played against Jeskai Control. I played against Lance and uh, Bant Food Chain. And yeah, when this when this deck gets you know the Soul Herder uh, recruiter package uh, going, just like Esper Vile, it feels like you have a bit more options since you can go like Settler or get Magus if you're playing against Lance. It was a really fun brew, and I'm gonna link it in the show notes because I definitely think people should try it out. So, uh, Victor, did you play anything? Yeah, I played some things. I played uh, a couple of uh, matches with uh, with Blackberry Animator against uh, Robin's Lance, and that matchup in 2021 still uh, feels good. And then I played uh, Yorion Taxes against Lance, and that matchup still feels bad. <laughs> well, the, the Blackberry Animator, you can, since the Lance deck does not have any counter spells and does not have any it isn't heavy on uh, on the very early turn interactions uh, in terms of uh, stopping the combo uh, you can pretty much stick to your game plan and just make sure to have some kind of discard after sideboarding to make sure to stop uh, whatever might be going on but it did feel pretty safe one interesting thing that we did was i mean in modern horizons Two, we had the addition of Sarah's Emissary. And for you who don't know, Sarah's Emissary is four and three white uh, flying. As Sarah's Emissary enters the battlefield, she was a card type. You and creatures you control have protection from the chosen card type, and it's a 7-7. Seven, seven. So you can put Sarah's Emissary to play and say Lance. <laughs> and the oh, things are <laughs> that's like the, the last type I was thinking about. That is the last time type you think about, but it's the great type to have when you play against Lance. Caracas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or nothing, anything. Yeah. Nothing, and mace. nothing. Mace. Nothing works. So um, you have that. And, and, and this deck currently plays this uh, Sarah in the main deck because it's just so powerful. It, it's good against basically everything. So that went down pretty easily. Uh, then the taxes, you're in taxes against Lance matchup, I think was interesting because. I mean, I've been playing Taxes in, in various iterations, as people know, for, for many years. And Lance has been this matchup that I think has been on and off. Sort of a really horrible matchup, a, a quite good matchup, and, and again, a more difficult matchup. Like, in ages ago, when, when Lance was sort of a punishing fire, of course, playing Death and Taxes, not the super, <laughs> not the super great game plan uh, against something that just recurs bolting all you guys, basically, or girls as they uh, mostly are in that deck. Um, but then you had the printing of Tomic, Distinguished Advocate, which seems to be... It was a card that was sort of... It's a 2-3 flyer and, and, and sort of really hoses uh, all types of land interaction. It was designed at first to stop Deathrite Shaman, but then Deathrite Shaman was banned, and Death and Taxes still got to keep the card, and it was extremely good against uh, lands, uh, with a 2-3 body, etc, etc. And that 60-card version in that sort of era of lands, the matchup felt really good. Uh, but now again, playing an 80-card deck, uh, or 95, uh, sort of total, uh, against um, sort of Valakut Exploration, uh, and all the shenanigans that is lands these days, uh, I felt it was a really big uphill battle. I don't know, what do you say, Robin? 
Yeah, I think that the, the printing of Skyclave Apparition gives your deck quite a lot of outs to my engine cards. I, I had my Explorations and Valakut Explorations removed immediately, <laughs> almost every game. But, I mean, when you play it, you always get immediate value. So even if you remove it with the one-for-one trade uh, and you get a body, so maybe it's a two-for-one trade, but I also get one activation out of my card. So I, th- I think that even though you remove my engine cards, I can get a little bit of value of them and, and then using that value to overwhelm the deck. But, I mean, D&T is in a, in a little bit of a sweet spot, I think, where it can go wide enough to sort of uh, not be too troubled by the maze of its. I did draw both my mates with all of the games against you, though. So double maze is really good there. But uh, since you have so many basics, you can also keep an upkeep uh, through a tabernacle for enough guys to put through a little bit of damage. So I, I think I need both maze and punishing fire and tabernacle to really control the game. And that's where I think that Ursa Saga and uh, that new angle of land sort of come in to put a little bit of blockers in the way. I had Retrofitter Foundry that were creating 1-1s to sort of trade or jump. And uh, I, I think the, like the new configuration of lands is, uh, is quite uh, well built to sort of deal with that uh, tactics that D&T is providing. Yeah, but I think what you, what you were able to do, I felt, in all of the games that we played, you were able to sooner or later uh, develop your, and all of your deck's different game plans at once. Uh, sort of subsequently like first you would get mazes uh, or a tabernacle and then you would get uh, the sagas and the retrofitter founders going i mean you sort of because uh, it's very difficult for me to save for skyclave apparition which of course helps a lot same for that one i don't really have i mean wasteland is so you it's a loam deck like what am i gonna do yeah i'm gonna waste your land ha 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 it's it's uh, it at best buys you one turn essentially it's like that sort of flicker wisp your maze of it that's good if you can strike in for the win but uh, I didn't feel I could strike in for the win because either my mana is host by Tabernacle or uh, I'm not getting strikes enough because you have the second maze and you can copy the mazes with your Thespian stage as well. Um, I just felt that as, as as the game progressed longer and longer, uh, the more and more you get to develop your entire variety of game plans <laughs> and all of them work pretty well uh, against Death and Taxes, I felt. So... There was this one game I was really close to 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 clenching, uh, and then you just top decked uh, the tabernacle. But then again, your deck is designed to to play and find the lands it has. So it's not like oh you got so lucky you just top decked your land. Like it's um, that's what the deck is supposed to do. So yeah, it's 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 five tutors and a lot of card draw between Valkut exploration and uh, just loaming lands into your graveyard. So yeah. Yeah, that's how it is. Yeah, I think I think the uh, the matchup dynamic also has like gone uh, gone through a couple of changes uh, with compared to like the sixty card version and the uh, the eighty card version. And uh, looking at uh, like I I used to play a lot of lands uh, like maybe twenty fourteen uh, around that time. I can't remember exactly, but I played a lot of lands. And one of the D and T players that I used to face like the two key cards that he wanted to land early was Edvial or Mother Runes. And the deck has gotten Blast Zone since, which is massive uh, because you can remove, you can make like the deck vulnerable to Punishing Fire again. 
and you can remove the vials, which let them cheat on mana. And playing an 80-card version makes you kind of less weak to to Blast Zone, um, in, in my opinion. But also, like, the most relevant cards, like, you, uh, it feels like you want to really put, put on a clock. And the 80-card version won't be able to do that as quickly. Uh, like, your average draw is not going to find Stoneforge as fast and stuff like that. So it's it's really interesting. But yeah, I can imagine if the matchup is quite tricky. At least, like, it, it feels very skill-intensive. Yeah, and I think that uh, a lot of the games where I started with an exploration and uh, maybe had a follow-up engine card, in, in turn three or something like that, maybe I have ten permanents on the board. <laughs> and and uh, by then maybe you have four permanents on the board or something like that. It's it's a real explosive deck, and I think the only sort of starts from D and T that can match that is of course a vile start where the vile also vials in the one drop, <laughs> and 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 that's quite a hard ask for an eighty card version of that deck I think. And uh, when comparing to to the games against both Esper and Jeskai vile. I think there's a, a both like the deck size uh, change with the like more frequent vials on turn one, which is really important, and and also like the the configuration of the the blue splash where there are like forces either in the main deck or in the board that is a huge tempo play to like remove a threat without you spending a whole turn to play a Skyclave Apparition or something like that. And also in our game, Christopher, uh, you had the Prismatic Ending of the board, which is a card that is not played in in uh, in Death in Texas, obviously, because it's a, like a monocolor deck. And, 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 and that being a removal for two mana instead of three mana with a Skyclave Apparition is such a tempo advantage. Especially if your opponent boards in Torpor Orb. <laughs> Yeah, Ooh, exactly. Like Skyclave doesn't even work. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, that Torpor, I thought I had a game-winning hand. I had Double Punishing Fire, if I remember correctly, and a Torpor Orb. And I'm like, you, you can't beat this. <laughs> but you, you you did beat that. And uh, and Vile was one card that sort of did beat it. And the Magus was one card that traded with two of my... With my punishing fires, fires. yeah, but but then the torpor orb uh, got prismatic ending. So yeah, I mean, and then later on there was a force on something as well. So I I think that the the diversity from uh, from that deck uh, made that matchup a lot stronger. But then of course you had a real good hand as well. We are less than a month away from the Swedish Legacy Nationals. It will indeed be fantastic to play in a large tournament again in paper. And indeed, for many of us, there hasn't been a tournament uh, this size since the Swedish Nationals of 2019. Uh, since then, Legacy has been transformed uh, quite a bit, to be um, sort of, to put it mildly. Underworld Breach came and was banned. Lurus of the Dream then and Zeda, the Dawn Waker, came and were banned. Arkham's Astrolabe, Dreadhorde Arcanist, and Oko, Thief of Crowns, were banned. Ragavan Evil Pilferer, Murktide Regent, Ursa Saga, and Dragon's Rage Chandler came and are at least not yet banned. A lot of other things have happened as well. In short, Legacy as we know it is a format of extraordinary high power and in more or less permanent flux. 
We can argue if this is something we like or not, but for the purpose of how players will prepare for the Swedish National Legacy Tournament, it is just simply a fact that this is the current state. So, with that, do we have any predictions on what metagame we might see at the Nationals, and how is that impacting our thoughts on decks for the tournament? Robin, what do you say? Yeah, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about the metagame because sort of that, that is where you start when you think about your deck building, maybe your, your deck choice to begin with, uh, but maybe you have a pet deck that you will play anyway. At least your, your tuning and deck building choices will have to be decided from predictions about the metagame and what you are planning to face for kind of decks. I, had a, I, I was listening to another pod, The Eternal Glory, where they were going through the the Legacy Pit metagame. And and one thing that was quite interesting there is that the metagame was quite similar to uh, the whole metagame, which is mostly online metagame these days. So so th- that uh, sort of gave me an idea of uh, maybe what we can expect. I mean, th- there's always this notion or this... Uh, I mean, m- maybe it's, it's uh, more of an assumption that uh, a paper meta is, is really different from... Uh, online meta but but some of the figures tell otherwise so in the pit which is uh, like the largest paper tournament uh, that has been going on lately there was a 15 percent of blue and red delver decks so that is sort of one in seven something like that and then it's really hard to sort of categorize what is a control deck these days <laughs> because there is the sort of more banned miracle decks and then there's uh, other sort of miracle decks that does not play Uro. And then there's the little bit more banned mid-range kind of decks and bugger control decks. And then there's the standstill decks which range ranges all from uh, shark still really controlly to like rag still which is quite the tempo deck. So it, it's a little bit hard with the definitions here, but I took all of those and, and lumped them together as, as control decks. And uh, in the pit, they were 16% of the meta. So Delver and uh, Blue-based control decks are together 31% of the meta. And uh, that I think that is what I'm going to try to beat uh, at this tournament. And one other thing that uh, was quite in- interesting is that they were talking about that... Uh, the pit was located in the land's land in in America, the region of America where a lot of the prominent lands players are located. So they were suggesting that there would be uh, overrepresentation of lands players. But when looking at the meta online, it was the exact same percentage. <laughs> so that's quite interesting. I think that it is because that lands is quite well positioned against both control decks and delver decks at this point if you tune the deck to beat those matchups so so that's sort of my starting point when when talking about uh, lands in this uh, in the for this tournament i i expect there to be a lot of blue based control and i expect there to be a lot of blue and red delver so i would prefer to have a main deck that can beat those two decks and then have a sideboard that further <laughs> uh, empathizes on that deck, but also, of course, beats the, the combo decks out there because that is sort of the Achilles heel of Lance, of course. So with that, I mean, you obviously had difficulties with Black Red Reanimator, which perhaps fortunately is not a very common combo deck these days. Uh, which other combo decks uh, would you calculate to, to 
go up against. I think that there is quite a big Storm community and that Storm players are keen on playing their pet deck, even though I think that Storm had a rough time in the metagame, especially discard-based Storm, Adnosim Tendrils, the, like the original Storm deck, has quite the troubles beating Ragawan metagame because discard is so bad. But I think there will be a little bit of Storm and then maybe some of the players that usually play Storm would move on to Doomsday, which is objectively stronger right now than Storm is. And uh, of course, Show and Tell is always a deck that people like to jam because it's very powerful. I'm not sure about the the, the position of uh, Black Red Reanimator, to be honest. It's also a discard-based deck. Maybe it has a lot of trouble against the Delver decks of the world. I'm not sure. I, I would mainly focus on beating Show and Tell, Doomsday, and perhaps Storm type decks and i and i'm not even considering uh, elves <laughs> at that point because that's also of course a combo deck but i think uh, lance is quite favored against elves as it is yeah i definitely think that uh, you want something there with the reanimator uh, they are a discard based deck but comparing it to like adnosium tendrils the the um, reanimator deck begs like the question do you have a counter spell or something relevant a lot earlier than adnosium tendrils usually does so like uh, getting you know to turn two and attacking with ragavan and hitting a discard spell is going to be less likely than you doing something similar against uh, adnosium tendrils which also has like a lot of relevant uh, cantrips that they can hit with the monkey as well so yeah i think i've i definitely think reanimator and shontel can be quite good in this uh, upcoming tournament because neither of them are are super easy to sideboard against or metagame against if you if you want to beat delver or bant and like yeah, Delver is going to be a problem for both of those decks, perhaps. But I, I think they are strong contenders. I'm not, I'm not sold on Sweden being a super Delver-heavy uh, country. I mean, uh, I, 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 if if we talk about Reanimator, I completely agree with what you're saying, and I also think that a lot of Delver decks has moved away from even playing Force of Negation in the main deck and keep maybe one or two in the board. So like the the Force check decks are maybe a little bit stronger against Delver decks than they used to be uh, before Days is online and before Ragavan starts stealing the cards. So I completely agree with that. I mean, when speaking of Delver, that is what I have been thinking as well. But when playing at uh, at the at the tournament in uh, Trollet and Trollwood, was a lot of Delver. And I think there is quite... Uh, sort of a new generation of legacy players uh, that are not uh, drawn towards uh, the decks that we usually see in our locals like Maverick and uh, like Fair Blade decks and all of that that is uh, what we usually see when it comes to Fair decks so I think there's quite a few players that are are liking to sleeve up Delver these days and uh, yeah I would expect Delver to to be a little bit more prominent than we might think no, I agree. I think as well that, I mean, also for the nationals, I think that some people will just prefer to try to play what is the objectively best deck. And I think it's hard to argue that any other deck currently is the best deck than a blue-red Tempo, Delver, Raga, whatever uh, shell uh, you want to get into. It just, I think the results as, in, uh, as a whole speak for themselves in that department. 
So I think you need to need to prepare for that. And I also think that like all all, all decks got an upgrade with MH2, right? I mean, uh, it's exp- explosive iterations and or Sasaga and all of that. But Delver decks uh, have completely been redefined since the printing of that. I mean, it's 16 new cards in some of the iterations. Yeah, it's a Modern Horizons tribal, like blue-red uh, tribal deck, uh, rather than uh, a Delver deck now. Because some people are cutting the Delvers even. It's like just Modern Horizons 2, blue-red blue, blue red tempo. I mean, that's that's completely true. I mean, the, often the Delvers are, are a 2-off or a 0-off at these days. I'm, I'm still going to call it Delver, I think. But it, it's it's a tempo deck. It's a days deck. It, it's a agro control deck or whatever you want to call it but so so that deck has gotten so many upgrades uh, and was a, a really strong deck even before modern horizons 2 so i think that's a strong contender and that's why i like to play uh, quite a lot of lands dedicated to beating delvers I play two mazes and two blast zones i mean those are broad cards but they are are uh, very strong against the Delver decks, and especially now that they are running so many one-drops. I'm running uh, three Endurances and three Red Elemental Blasts in the board, and and they are acting as removals in this matchup, but they are there also to beat the combo decks, of course, which which are the, the bigger problems, maybe. And then you have the Punishing Fires, and you have the Tabernacle, and you can also waste or choke the deck, deck out. So I think with that configuration, the matchup should be quite all right. I mean, the, the big uh, sort of X factor here, of course, is that the Swedish Nationals, it's a big in- tournament for us who, who play Paper Legacy in Sweden. Uh, it's, a, as I said, uh, just a month from now. But there aren't any other huge tournaments on the horizon. So some people are saying now is a great window for Wizards of the Coast to finally pulled the plug on uh, uh, removing some of the Modern Horizons 2 tribal cards from Modern Horizons 2 tribal. So we are looking at a potential situation where our preparations can be, I wouldn't say all for nothing, but can be heavily impacted by the fact that a card might be banned You know, the same week of the tournament. We don't know that. I mean, of course, very few of us are going to change our deck choices uh, based on that. But if you are a player who say, I mean... I don't know. You, you you plan to play Blue Red Tempo and they ban Murk, Tide and Ragavan. <laughs> I mean, you can probably still just play the Delver decks uh, of, you know, 11 months ago and those decks are going to be fine. Uh, but it's going to be a very different game both for you and for your opponents. That remains to be seen, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I, I could see I could see that happening. I mean, there's a lot of discussion right now uh, about the metagame and, and potential bans and Maybe wizards are acting on that sort of community cry out. Who knows? What do you think, Christopher? Well, I actually had a, a large discussion in uh, one of the Swedish uh, legacy discords recently, and for me, uh, the the like the discussion that always comes up is days versus other good cards, and. I personally don't mind checking the meta whenever new cards uh, get printed, especially if they're as strong as the Modern Horizons 2 cards. Uh, I would not get shocked or sad if if they banned some cards from that set, but I know like a lot of people are invested and uh, their like ban fatigue is also quite real. But I think like um, for me personally, I I wouldn't cry or hate a ban before the Nationals. 
uh, but I'm not sure that we're going to see it. I would definitely stick to my deck choice, which probably will be casting a four-mana enchantment. That's cool. I think that if if Delver were uh, greatly changed uh, through some sort of bannings, the only card I would look at is maybe the Endurance, the third Endurance, because that is such a strong blocker against the like mono 3-3 deck. <laughs> but but if, if that deck sort of played Goyf or something like that instead, of course, Endurance is quite good as, uh, against uh, Goyf as well, I just realized. Well, I, I, I would look at the, the, some of the sideboard cards, but uh, I think that the main deck would still be th- the same. And I think that I might actually... Uh, change my deck choice but then again since you and i robin are playing on the f- uh, the day before the nationals there is a uh, a nationals legacy teams tournament which is not a unified tournament uh, but it's also an opportunity perhaps for a last minute game test we'll see about that this is all we have for this week we do hope that you have enjoyed yourselves uh, do consider as always recommending this podcast to a legacy paper player friend of yours uh, you and that friend can also give us a super mighty rating in any podcasting app of your choice if you want to people on the internet have told me that it's a way to help boost the presence of your podcast in other podcasting machines then again uh, or as i said uh, next week we're going to celebrate the 20th episode so please post listener questions for that question answer segment in the discord or on social media and speaking of social media if anyone wants to reach out to us in any way where can we be found robin you can find me on facebook and yeah you can find me on twitter i'm at monolithmtg and i'm also on twitter at disco drogo this podcast has a twitter account at sthlm legacy Uh, Links to all of that in episode information. And this concludes the 19th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Our amazing music is written by Frönes. Check them out on Spotify. And until next time, remember that the best laid plans of squirrels and wizards often go awry. Mm -hmm.